When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once upon a time, I was of the mind. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Collateral Confessions. This is a part of Miami Nice where we sort of wander down the beautiful memory lane of just before the behemoth uh, blockbuster before Miami Vice of Collateral starring Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Jason Statham. Um, we have always had this chat on the calendar. I'm not currently joined by the assassin in the back seat that is one Katie Walsh, but I am here with a man who, I mean, thanks to our community um, of people, Joseph Sy particularly, he connected us with the amazing sound editor and designer behind this very movie. He's got stories for days. Before we even started recording, we were talking about his work on Alien 3, deeply underrated movie. Predator 2, another deeply underrated movie. <laughs> Elliot Koretz, thank you so much for coming back to now a collateral confession. How are How you? How about that? Um, I'm great, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Katie, I don't know. A little disturbing, uh, but yeah. uh, maybe she'll be here eventually. <laughs> Katie, Katie will, Katie's going to pop in like a body falling out of a window in the middle of right. this episode if she can make it. But look, thank you so much um, for yes, you know, coming back to talk to us. Uh, our now mutual, great mutual friend Joseph Sai has been talking about your great collateral stories just as a friend and a peer, and he's like, "Oh my God, <laughs> Elliot's got some stories," and I'm like, "Well, we need to get Elliot back oh because." Uh-oh. As as we discovered, one of my all-time favorite stories doing any show that we've done on One Heat Minute Productions is a pilot buzzing you, flying way too low, and nearly taking you yes. out to get the sound of that beautiful low-flying drug-smuggling jet, that very uh, futuristic-looking plane that they use in Miami Vice. But I hear that Collateral has even better stories. So let's... Collateral, obviously, a couple of years before 2004, before yes. Miami Vice. They came in the fast six... Uh, release succession I think of any time any uh, any movies in Michael Mann's career so I would love if you could tell me like take me back to collateral right. take me back well to I, you know I, I, I'll, I'll give you a little brief history of my relationship uh, with Michael which goes way way back I mean it was incredible that they allowed editors at 10 11 years old but um, <laughs> I, uh, I worked on the pilot and a couple of seasons of Miami Vice, the TV show, uh, way back when. I was a young editor at the time, and uh, that was on film prior to the digital revolution. And uh, quite challenging uh, to get, you know, uh, the look Michael wanted, the sound Michael wanted, and all that, and particularly uh, working in that analog world. So it was I mean, satisfying in how much acclaim and how cool the show was but hard 
anyway, that was a long oh, time can ago. I, can, I, can I ask something? There's yeah. in a great Jonah Wiener profile that happened at the New York Times, um, he got to go over and see the pre-production, or I think it was maybe not not quite pre-production, maybe it was just the very, very early stages of production of Ferrari where Michael was with department heads and mm -hmm. they had a great office set up in Rome and he said when it was walking in, it was beautiful kind of like, you know, it would look like nothing, like a standard corporate office on the outside. But when he walked in, he goes, it was just like, you know, speaking of alien, it was like the bowels of the Nostromo. He walked in <laughs> and just the right. walls were covered with historical photography and art and concept art and, you know, swatches for different materials of outfits and all these different colors and designs and i just wanted to write back because miami vice the tv series had a profound influence i think on action cinema on just on cinema itself on the landscape of television probably for a decade afterwards the influence is probably its tendrils are everywhere i want to yes. ask right at the beginning when you're working on that in pre-production, do you remember, were there any sort of canonical kind of text, visual influences, sound influences at the time? Because a lot of people have prescribed things that Miami Vice was, you know, adopting. But do you remember at the time casting your mind back, were there any things like films or movies or, uh, or TV shows rather that like Michael Mann and the production team at the time when you were designing the look that said, we want it to look like this or we want it to feel like this. Do you remember anything off the top you know, of your head? I, it is, it's a long time back, but I also have to say in that world with, of the question you're asking, a very interesting aside. So this, as I said, this was in the world of film, not digital. And back then, to save money, um, they would give the sound crew a black and white copy of the episodes. And so we would not see what the color version looked like till much, much later on the mix stage. And when we first started working on the pilot, it was a two hour pilot. I mean, it looked kind of cool and it uh, wasn't a bad story, but we had no clue <laughs> about the pa the pastels yes. and the vibrancy of everything that was such a key component um, of the show. And it wasn't until after we, you know, the, the pilot mixed where, and we're on the, you know, on the mix stage, you would see, oh my God, this is, yeah. you know, what we're doing. And, and it was revolutionary, but, um, you know, it was, at that time, we were still trying to figure out what Michael wanted. And basically, uh, Sonic, the Sonic landscape that we edited was cover everything you see like a feature. Yes. I mean, um, television, so episodic TV sound at that point in the early 80s was hit and miss uh some shows it took, it took liberties cut corners had to cheaper yeah right cheaper because you only had a week i mean they would they would give it would be typically a crew of five sound editors and you had a week uh to do all the sound on the 20 odd 24 minute however long the episodes were yes. for half hour shows and 50 something minutes for an hour show and um uh you had to cut corners but we didn't on his show it was cover everything you see head to toe um showcase droppings from guns i mean the type of stuff you rarely did um on tv at the time and then when it got to the mix stage and really the first time you'd hear what the music was for that episode michael would evident would usually lose 80 percent of what you cut <laughs> 
and just feature whatever felt right emotionally. So there may be a big gun battle going on that you spent days working on. And in the final mix, it would just all be... you heard was a close-up of a pull on a cigarette <laughs> or something. Uh, and sometimes I'd, you know, on Friday nights, I'd watch the episode at home and throw like a shoe at the TV <laughs> or something because I was so aggravated. And, you know, you, you have to let go. Yeah, I, I mean... That's the, that's the intuition, the maddening intuition of a really dynamic filmmaker. It's like, I want all the layers, almost like I need the whole palette to color with. And then when you get me Phil Collins in the air tonight, it's over. Like it's the Phil Collins in the air tonight show for the next five minutes. And we're going to have the, the neons bouncing off of a Ferrari and we're going to have Don Johnson's hair blowing in the wind. And it's like, we don't hear any of the stuff that I'm sure the soundscape probably catered for a lot. But how, you, you... How, how many years later is it? And I'll be honest, and I'm going to reveal myself. I still get goosebumps when I hear that song. 100%. Regardless of when I hear it, it takes me back to working on the show and being there. And you know that, and going to the, the Vice, the movie, and maybe you've discussed this with folks, he had a real hard time deciding if he wanted that song in the feature. I've always he wondered would, if he, I mean, because he, he got the cover. Yeah, well, he only, he did a cover, but he fought it. He did not want to have that music in there. It's and so this is, right. this is, the, yeah, I, I think he, he, I think he ultimately made the right decision, but I absolutely see his quandary because that's the, that's the one nostalgic, iconic thing that he could play with and right. he, he, he kind of has his cake and eats it too by getting a cover song but it's also like that's not his jam he's not a like a, a he's a guy who introduces people to that song and makes them never forget that it was in his movie forever like it's just right. over now that that is the song you know he's hasn't had it in too many other movies like i mean i think some of lisa gerard's amazing tracks have just been lifted out of the insider for like 20 years and you know, uh, uh, you know, obviously right. the, the last of the Mohican score is just oh, unforgettable. Yeah. Like it's so absolutely, it feels like, yeah, I can totally see though, because that is like one of the greatest needle drops ever. It is. Well, so that was in the eighties and, uh, it left enough scars on me, <laughs> all the, all the, all the hours we put in on that show that now we segue to the early two thousands. And the company I'm working with, um, who mainly, it was a company called Weddington Productions, which was a big post-sound place back in the day. They made, We mainly did feature film sound, mm. but they were looking to branch out and get more revenue. And they said, you know, this, it's pilot season and we want to do uh, some pilots. So they were interested in doing the pilot for Robbery Homicide Division. Awesome. So the owners of the company approached me and said, you know, uh, we know you have a history at Michael and we'd like to put you up for that show. What do you think? Uh, and uh, it's possible my response was double fuck no. Uh, uh, it's possible, but I said, you know, I, Look, I don't know if I want to. It's only conjecture, it's hearsay. I'm not sure, maybe that was you, I'm not, I don't know. Maybe. Well, and I said, I, I don't know if I want to work that hard. It, it's gonna, you know, because pilots in general are grueling. Yeah, because they typically they turn over at the last second, and it is literally sometimes twenty four hour a day work to get them done. And I so think I, 
for for right. listeners who I don't quite understand, like especially in the early two thousands, and this is sort of peak network television, there is a glut of them. It's not only that you have to work hard and turn around quickly. It's like you're not getting a gap between maybe or you know if you guys are at a wedding center doing these different series you guys have probably got six or seven teams working six or seven pilots you file that thing and then you move on and there's another six or seven because there's like a hundred episodes of new shows that may or may not get picked up yeah it, 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 it's grueling so anyway and then uh around the same time as that was going on looking asking me about the pilot I was in negotiation with another company who was offering me a contract and wanted me to go work with them. Mm. And it was very, very attractive. And I left Weddington, went to work for this other company called Soundstorm. I go over there and one of the first meetings I have with them, they say, and they're, they're paying me a, a guarantee, which is rare. Not, not a lot of people get that in my end of things. So, you know, we want to do a pilot uh, with Michael Mann and we know you had a relationship. <laughs> we really want you to do it. <laughs> So it seemed like it was destiny. And so I said, okay, because I couldn't say no to them. And uh, so I like, I've got Michael. this new job, new opportunities. No, no way I could be right. stuck doing robbery homicide division. Uh, met with Michael and re reacquainted ourselves with each other and did the pilot for robbery homicide and ended up doing the first season of that. Uh, which it was an interesting show. I mean, as a a, 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 for anyone who hasn't seen it, there are some pretty ghastly quality episodes of Robbery Homicide that you can still watch on YouTube because it is basically yeah. disappeared culturally. It's not. It's got no phenomenal DVD release or anything like that. I look at Robbery Homicide Division, and there is so it, Robbery Homicide Division is like dripping with Michael Mann elements. It's dripping with collateral. It's dripping with heat. It's dripping with Miami yeah. Vice. It's just, yes. it has it has so much of those, I guess, themes, characterizations, story arcs that he wanted to experiment with. And he was just using it as a, as a play thing and it had such amazing actors and great mini stories. And, um, it did. Uh, and Justin Lieberman, former Michael Mann uh, assistant, um, still had, uh, uh, still had a couple of copies that he got from an avid on a DVD that I have yeah. seen some very beautiful, high quality episodes. And let me tell you, that show is gorgeous. Oh my God. It, 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 yeah, it was. And, and I agree. There, there was a lot of things in there that either were ideas and things he'd explored before or things he was going to. I think the very yeah. last episode, I think it was the last episode, all took place on a metro train. Mm. And I think it was Robert Hayes, the guy from Airplane. Yes. Who is deranged and is holding a, I think he's holding people hostage on a metro train, if I remember it right. Anyway, I had just acquired this very, very tiny recording device, digital recorder that was, you know, like the size of a phone. And uh, I spent a day riding the metro train, uh, secretly recording all the sounds and all that uh, to use in that episode. Little did I know that not long afterwards, uh, the opportunities to record trains again for collateral uh, <laughs> uh, would come out. Anyway, so we did the season of Robbie Homicide. It wasn't picked up uh, by the network and everyone got along well. And it felt like it just kind of rolled into collateral. Yes. Um, and I started on Collateral while it was in production. 
which is unusual. Sound supervisors don't always get to do that. It's a great advantage. Yes. That if you can, but yeah, so they were, uh, it was still, shooting was still going on when I started on it. So you start, what would that be? 2000s? Early, uh, sorry, uh, now it's 2004, uh, it's released, it's like so that, 2003? This, yeah, I guess it was a 2003. So Robbie Homicide must have been 2002. Yes. Or so I'm guessing. So yeah, 2003, started on it. And um, Michael always prefers to have everybody working on the show in his offices at Forward Pass. And so, and we had been set up there already for Robbery Homicide. And so it was kind of a continuation of that, except uh, a dramatically larger crew. Oh, of course. Um, so, you, so you go into Forward Pass, once you're out of Robbery Homicide Division, which obviously doesn't keep going so that's okay they pivot straight into collateral at the time of that pre-production are you you know you know michael critically mm. a critical darling uh, i guess an industry inspiration for so many filmmakers like i think you know he's like one of the best you, he's your favorite filmmaker's favorite filmmaker right <laughs> it's like right, he's got so right. many people that love him but walking into collateral was the energy different because we're now talking about a michael mann tom cruise movie at a time where cruise is surrounded by movies like magnolia and minority report and we're rolling up to towards like war of the worlds like he's i mean if he's not still continuing um, as miraculous as it sounds in 2023 is the biggest movie star in the world. Right, like this right. is truly, he's coming off of Ali, Will Smith at the time, pretty much biggest movie star in the world. Goes, does, you know, goes and does um, a robbery homicide, then bouncing into collateral. Like was, was the energy different? Was it like, was I think, yeah, I think energy was really high. Uh, and I think right. It, we, everybody felt this was a cool movie. This, this had great potential and this was an exciting project to be on. And particularly yeah. with it being lo shot locally. Yes. That there was so, I mean, you know, Michael sometimes was helicoptering from set back to, you know, uh, his office. And I mean, yeah, the, the, the energy was off the chart in the office. <laughs> uh, and like I said, particularly for me, I don't have, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword to be um embedded with the director and everybody there's a great synergy yes. to be there and to be able to communicate instantly and all that uh it also you're under scrutiny all the time yes and he, he can just walk in he can, that's the you know that was another thing about that jonah wiener piece he's like he's literally got all of his departments on one floor yeah and i think you even told us he's got everyone on the same floor and he just walks yeah. from department to department monitoring what's yes. happening and so at any given time the boss man can come in and be constantly like, and, How you doing? and his his main his offices uh were he had to walk through my area we called it the bullpen where all my editors were he had to walk through my area to go to picture department which happened constantly all day so yes. he was always going back and forth uh through where all my crew was so and and if somebody you know, sometimes, like, I mean, Joe Sai might relate the story too. If an assistant was waiting on something to transfer hard drive to hard drive, and they're sitting there waiting, it's going to take 20 minutes for this thing to copy. If he happens to see someone sitting there, he'll talk to his, uh, the associate producer and say, what's going on there? What are these guys yeah. doing? You know? <laughs> so uh, I, I had to keep my crew in good spirits. 
I mean, it was up to me <laughs> to sort of lead, um, keep the morale up uh, under the conditions of long hours and the boss man being around a lot. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I think ultimately on that, I had over 20 people on my crew in that movie, which is a very large crew for sound editorial. That is, and and you are right. LA is movie mecca, and has been for a hundred years essentially. But increasingly, you know, especially lucky for people like me in Sydney, Australia, um, and very recently with some talks of like some additional tax breaks. Places like Australia try and lure so many productions here. I mean, we have amazing crews across Australia. But so many people try and lure international productions out of LA because it's so damn expensive. It's one of it's it's the, the third biggest economy in the world, and it's a it's a, it's a state, it's a city, and it, right. it's so hard to shoot there because like you know like you know one, now these days you hear about like once upon a time in Hollywood can shut down a you know a major spot or like ambulance can shut down the LA River for fifteen minutes and Michael Bay goes okay I can get you know a two helicopters and an ambulance driving right. through there at 80 miles an hour um so it's very rare these days but you guys you know having the biggest movie star in the world and a famous filmmaker right. just going around and bombing around la it must have been amazing oh it was yeah it's true and michael i, I still don't know how he got that i'm digressing a little from some of the points i was hoping to make uh we had we did voluminous field recording on yes. both, on, on vice and collateral but collateral we you know michael is great about that and wants you to go out and record one of the field recording sessions was I went out with the VFX crew about midnight to the 7th and Metro station, which is where the end of the movie takes place when they first get on the train. We had, I think, a three or four car Metro train to ourselves. They arranged it. We could take it, tell the driver, you know, let's go here, let's go there, open the doors, close the doors. So VFX was doing some plates and things in it. And myself and my colleague, who I want to spend some time talking about, Bruce Barris, we were recording, we were doing six track recordings um, in the train. Amazing. And it, it's, it's, I don't know how much that cost to get the, uh, you know, to get the train for the night, because we had it for hours and, you know, have them just do whatever we want. But yeah, that, that was quite a coup, I thought. No wonder your 20 person um, crew labeling hundreds of hours of recording of like oh, doors open, yeah. doors closed, doors open at this uh, station, doors oh, closed, and you guys like and, getting the, the palette to then select that soundscape. It's right. just like, oh my God. So I, I have to, I have to, I reminded myself and Joe, Joe and I were talking about this. The crucial part of the sound and of my crew was my colleague, Bruce Barris. Bruce was a man who I met when I moved over to this company, Soundstorm. He came from uh, a music background. He worked at Sound City, which mm. I don't know if you've seen the yeah, documentary I have about seen Dave. Sound City. Yes. Dave Dave Grohl bought the board that they the magical board they had. Anyway, Bruce worked there for a long time before he got into sound editing, and I met him. He was my assistant for many years before we ultimately became co-supervisors. And none of none of the success we had working with Michael would have happened without Bruce's participation. Uh, his knowledge of mixing, of AVIDs, of uh, all the field recording techniques we did, um, the way he kept uh, track of the voluminous changes and made everyone's... It was, uh, I, I can't say enough of what an important part 
uh, Bruce played and all this. Sadly, a couple years ago, he passed away unexpectedly, oh, which makes this all the more bitter, uh, oh. sweet in a way, um, an undiagnosed heart ailment. Um, but yeah, he was a very important part of the post sound. Uh, and he and I did all the field recordings together. We recorded the taxi. Uh, we recorded all the guns. We recorded the Metro. We, we, it was um, many, many opportunities uh, to uh, uh, get access to uh, the, the uh, various things in the movie and record them. Oh, man. Well, rest in peace, Bruce. He sounds like... Once you find a guy who can who gets the method of the madness of Michael Mann, right. it feels like he's one of his guys. So I'm really sorry to hear that because oh, you're yeah. one of his guys for a couple of years. You know, you really have to adopt. You really have to adopt that work ethic to be able to survive. So oh, what a brilliant thing! And Sound City just itself working at Sound City, man. Yeah. Bruce would have had some stories for you, Elliot. Holy oh dude. oh yeah oh oh so true. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so he. Um, we start we set up and uh so it was a much more complicated setup for our crew uh, mm. on collateral and bruce actually set up a, a network there so all the editors could network and work together uh with uh sharing files and all that and um i think the success of the soundtrack in collateral uh to me a great part of it was uh, my relationship with the picture department, and particularly yes. uh, Paul Rebel, um, who a uh, picture editor on Paul Rebel, he, and he's the coolest, most mellow man you ever <laughs> met. And at that time, he was bouncing between uh, Michael Mann and Michael Bay, movie to movie. I don't know how he did it, but the um, the, the <laughs> no, relationship. You just you just said it. He's the most yeah. mellow man you've ever met. It's like that. Just cool as a cucumber. Sometimes a big filmmaker is like, yeah, like I need, I need someone who is, I can give them everything and they are the calmest person in this storm of activity all the time. That sounds so cool. Well, he was, he was just a, such a great colleague. And what I've learned in all the times I've worked with Michael is to succeed with the soundtrack, um, the best avenue is to have as many things as possible integrated into the avid as early as possible yes because uh michael watches the movie more than any filmmaker i have ever worked with and i've had a long career i've never seen anyone devote themselves so entirely uh to the project as him he would get in the office at six in the morning watch the movie entirely make his notes sit with the picture department for a while uh, maybe then go to the mix stage for 12, 14 hours or longer, come back to the office where I sit with the picture editors again for a few more hours, maybe not go home till two in the morning, rinse, repeat. And I mean, <laughs> that, that just went on every day for months where yeah. I, I can only imagine he was sleeping four hours, maybe, yeah. or something. And uh, the track in the Avid is his Bible. Yes. He, he really, he hones everything down there with minute moves and keeps lots of notes and everything they did uh, for dialogue, for music, for the sound effects. And Paul was very open and welcoming, Paul and his crew, to getting material from us. I, we would cut an elaborate scene, 
mix it down to a more manageable number of tracks that we could put in the Avid, get it to Paul, he would integrate it into the Avid and Michael would listen to it enough times that it became familiar to him. Yes. And the, re the reason why that's so successful is then later in the process on the mix stage, when we're doing the final mix of the movie, he's got enough things to think about creatively and with the acting and all that if he's hearing radically different sound, it's jarring. Yes. And uh, it, it may, it may, the knee jerk is, well, I don't want that. Just give me what's in the Avid and possibly really great tracks might get lost. Yes. But with the collaboration of the picture department, we had really all the field recordings, the great stuff that we shot, the t the real taxi, the real guns, um, you know, all, all that stuff. The Metro train got into the cut very, very early. So and, he's just he's um, he's absorbing it at the same time. There's no disconnect. It's not like he's right. got he's got this wildly new thing to consider. He's got it from right at the beginning, as early as possible. Yes. And by the yeah, sounds of things, I, I appreciate someone who obsessively rewatches the same film over yeah. and over again. So uh, I, I now having a deeper appreciation for why Michael Mann and, likes our show. <laughs> and it's funny, and I can't remember if we discussed this last night because I know we, we were mainly talking about Vice, but. Um, we, uh, you know, typically we replace just about all the sound in the movie. Uh, you know, we, the, when they shoot it, the microphones are pretty much directional. They're trying to get the actors and not all the peripheral sound. So we're augmenting and replacing sounds, certainly cars and guns, things like that. Pretty early on, maybe even while shooting was still going on, Michael called me into his screening room and said, I want to play something for you and I want you to watch it and listen. And it was uh, the alleyway scene where uh, the briefcase is taken and Tom shoots. Yeah, homie. The, the yeah, greatest. Yo, homie. Right, right. Um, and where they shot that scene was right next to an empty, multi-story uh, parking structure. And the original sound of the blank echoing in that alleyway was magnificent. Yes. And, and Michael said, I don't, whatever you do in this movie, don't fuck with that sound. He <laughs> says, I, 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 I love that resonance and the way that echoes, and it's so cool. Don't mess with it. And I understood what he was talking about. However, now I don't know if he's going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I am going to share a secret that not many people know. So we did that as directed. When we're mixing the movie, uh, the re-recording mixers and myself, we felt the actual impact of the gunshot itself could be even better because it was a blank that he was shooting. That we, we were not going to mess with the echo of the way it bounces off all the walls, but we did put in like a couple frames of a big-ass gunshot in the front <laughs> of it uh, just to make it more impactful. And, and Michael, I don't know whether he knew it or not, but he was happy. And, well, uh, I it's that's a nice little dramatic flair. We're just gonna give it just yeah. this little bit of juice. We're gonna just give it that little bit of steroids in the gunshot. But yeah, you're right. It's like, but the bang and that echo, right. it is it like, especially in a beautiful, you know, Dolby oh. optimized. It just bounces, just beautiful. Oh, it, it, it was one of my favorite yeah. sounds in any Michael Mann movie. Is that sound? And you had a little hand in it, so that's amazing. Oh. You know, I was listening to the other uh, podcast you guys did relating to Collateral, and I love that, you know, I'm not getting a visual, but I'm just listening. 
and uh, like it with uh, you know Max looking at the brochure and, and doing those things, and then with the body crashing down, it brought it all back to me. I mean, it's twenty yes. years ago. Yeah, almost twenty years ago, but it brought me right back to the cutting room and remembering the detail. And I, to me, in my field and with the soundtrack of that movie, that's one of the key things that I think I'm so pleased with uh, is. We, it's a very busy soundscape, but extremely detailed. Yes. Um, we had the resources with crew that we could have, like, typically in movies, if, say, there's distant traffic going on, uh, you just don't have the budget to deal with every specific car you see, and they're kind of in the distance, and you would have generic traffic backgrounds that yes. are... Appro appropriate for the scene but they're generic and they're kind of and they're not in. specific and if you're a movie obsessive like i think a lot yeah. of the people who listen to this show sometimes it's infuriating when you hear the yeah. same like right. sounds like it's like it's almost like someone had a disc yeah. or someone's got a series of files of like all the rote sounds and you're like yeah I it just doesn't you heard that car go by three times already. yeah i've heard that same uh, kind of car well, we had the resources that I had an editor whose only job was to cut background cars <laughs> and and like spent weeks individually cutting every car you see, the right sound, the right, you know, and the fact that we were able to give, and we, I know you talked, we talked about this and I heard you talk oh, about it before. I'm so sorry, because, Elliot, speaking of a body falling out of a window and crashing yes. into the car. We'll be right back after this quick break. Katie Walsh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Elliot. Well, we persevered without you, but it just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. <laughs> it's 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 it was not the same. So Elliot and I were just uh, talking, just to catch you up. We're just talking about Elliot's team members having the resources on collateral to, rather than using the same rote background noise. He had a guy who would go out and record all the correct background noise for every background car that you see in every scene of collateral that's so yeah. sick oh it, my it, god it, it, i mean it makes for a very clean track that there's no superfluous sound everything is there for a reason the cars that go by if they go and you hear them uh and you know as, as i know you guys have talked about with the, the techniques he was using with the digital photography uh the, the, you could see more and yes. so it, it opened up the opportunities for us to uh, find nuance and find specific things to cover um, that added to the track. 
And it's a lot of fun to do that. You know, it, it's like when when uh, Tom is walking up to for his first hit, that low rent district apartment building. You know, I can remember now, you know, putting together that soccer game on the TV as he walks by. And, you know, uh, I didn't know the story about the airplane. That's uh, exactly yeah. what we're going to ask you is that that yeah. airplane story. I'm like, that is one of our favorite stories we've ever heard about the making it's, of that, any Michael Mann's that, movies. I, I had not heard that. And that's what we said. These guys are a match made in heaven. So I was just yeah. like, I, you know, seeing a plane in the background, you guys have got plane. Now the depth of field opening up with the digital filmmaking, you've right. obviously got the the deeper levels of complexity is like, I'm not only maybe seeing a train LA, depending on where you are regionally, obviously mm -hmm. in the city, you're, the train it's train heavy at the the end of the movie you've got the you right. know the the chaos of creating that sort of very gorilla shot opening in at lax and then you've got all of the soundscapes of all the cars and the dynamic night markets and taco stands and petrol stations right. and clubs but i just like and also you've got planes now that yeah. you can actually see in the night sky which is another wrinkle to trying to create this clean soundscape that you've got you've got this other depth of field that you're catching planes in the background so you got to account for yes. that no it was that part was fun uh, another another scene of the movie after that initial killing when uh the guy falls on the cab so they have this long drive through the city in traffic where uh, jamie where max is realizing uh, this is a bad thing, and I, I got I got a killer in the back with me. And Michael talked to me and said, uh, "What I really like you to do is go spend a night in downtown." And wow. call it Bruce and I. He said he he kind of tasked us go downtown and just record sounds, find find interesting sounds, see what's out there. And so Bruce and I went. Maybe we started about 10, 11 at night and spent till five, six in the morning in different parts of downtown. And it was fascinating. We heard, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of homeless people that are there. There's other sounds of industry, of people that work at night and factory sounds and so on. Things that we recorded uh, that we wanted to kind of just pepper that scene with as um, uh, Jamie is really getting a sense of what he's in for. Um, in addition to that, I, w I had some library sounds I wanted to use. One of which we uh, affectionately call a disco carbide. It's a sound <laughs> in the library that you've heard a million times when you're in traffic and you get sort of boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And it's just, it's the low end thump of another video, yeah. you know, somebody listening to something really loud someone who has a subwoofer and they want to share yeah and <laughs> so i put i i put something in from my library and uh when we were mixing the movie the music supervisor said uh do you know who did that do you have the all the in origination information because it's possible someone could identify that music and come after us Oh, like the rights holder of the song? Yeah. Right. Annoying. And you, you couldn't tell what it was. It was really just thumping. But the music supervisor was being super cautious. And I said, I, I don't know. It's in our library, but it has no documentation. So she said, uh, just find, make something and give us something. So my son, who was fairly young at the time, but adept at GarageBand, I said, <laughs> uh, can you make me up something like that? So he did. And I, I think uh, for his participation in the movie, I think he got fifty dollars 
or nice. something. What a legend. But but so so in the movie there's there is a one little moment you can hear that thumping by, which is what my son made. And unbeknownst to me, he put himself in the internet movie database. So when you if you look at the credits and collateral, <laughs> it says, you know, music, James Newton Howard, additional music, Zachary Koritz. Legend. <laughs> Amazing. I was yeah. going to ask, did he get a credit? <laughs> well, he's not a screen credit, but uh, in the IMDb, uh, he shares he's it there. with uh, James Newton Howard. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's amazing. It's so but, fun. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was really, uh, we had enough resources and enough time to find the right sounds. Like, uh, we went out with the armor of the movie uh, and recorded every gun used in the movie. Which was a very fun thing to do, I guess. Say too. Um, and are you getting... recording them in a, like inside and outside and getting all those kinds of reverb things like what that you might need? We recorded them all outside in a sh uh, shooting range that we had to ourselves. But the way we mic'd the sounds, and my, once again, my colleague Bruce, who understood all the miking techniques, they were every time we shot a weapon. They were mic'd in so many ways that you could get what sounded like close-up interior as well as reverberant exterior if we needed that. You're staging um, you're staging the microphones in proximity, so you've just got a web of them. You're like, right. oh, this one sounds more resonant, this one sounds close. That's yes. so cool. Because there is a right. difference, and right? There's a especially um I think about it with public enemies too, is like there's a sound of some of those old Tommy guns being fired in the woods and how the mm -hmm. sound just seems to never stop. Like once it's fired, it just echoes like these waves, yes. echoes that just seem like they're, you know, <clears throat> almost like an amphitheater, how it has natural sound and natural acoustics of it like flowing through. It's like that sort of stuff. Michael Mann movies, there's no no uh, stone on, leaves right. no stone unturned. Oh no, and, and some of that, um, some of that sometimes is cooked into the sound you record Sometimes if you don't have all that, it is something we could do later mm. because of, you know, all the, the, on the mix stage. And even now in our cutting rooms, we have so many software uh, tools to add different types of reverb. You can sample a, a room sound and then add it to a track to make it sound like it's a nightclub. It's in a, you know, concert hall. It's, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to emulate uh reverb amazing and so, so we did some of that as well but um yeah that was you know unlike vice where in vice um not every gun that you heard was the actual gun it was more a feeling of what michael wanted at the time some of it was some of it wasn't uh in collateral it was the correct gun every wow. time and we did all the handling sounds because you know tom Tom went to school and learned how to handle the guns, how to quickly load the guns, how to do all that fast maneuvering that he does in Fever. Um, yeah, have you guys talked about Club Fever we yet? We haven't gotten to Fever. Yeah. We'll wait. We yeah. once you arrived at the top of the cab, Katie. This is where we get to <laughs> get the Fever. Right. I'm dying um, to hear about Club Fever. I bet that was fun to <laughs> that was well, a fun and, one and, to put together. It, it, it was very fun to do. And once again, as uh, we were talking, Blake and I were talking about um, the collaboration I had with uh, Paul Rebell, the picture editor, was crucial, I think, to how the sound worked in that scene, because there's a lot of fast cutting back yes. and forth as, you know, different points of view as Tom is kind of the predator stalking 
through the crowd. And um, when the gunfire started happening, how the scene was cut really helped uh, sonically uh, because if we're looking stage left and suddenly it's flipped and stage right and all that, it's like, how do you make the, the, the reverberance work when you one had one point of view, then another point of view, and it can be very jarring sonically. And uh, Paul and I looked at it and he did adjust some of his cuts with the thought in mind of how the gunshots will sound better and work better in placement as far as staying to the left side of screen or staying to the right side of screen or wherever they were. And so it was, man, that's an art, Elliot. You you make me appreciate the art of that because the orientation of that scene, because Katie and I love this movie so much is like, sometimes you're watching someone and then a gunshot happens and it'll be in your, as you're watching at home or we're watching in the theater, it happens in your left speaker. The camera whips around to that other point of view. And then we've got that close proximity gun that someone's being handheld because you're now watching the person who's shooting and then whips around because you hear another shot on the other side. It's like, just, I, even as a person who writes about film and talks about film so much, I'm just like, God, there is a a tremendous amount of artistry just even thinking about that to not disorientate the audience. And also when you now see a cheap, cheaply put together something or something that doesn't have as much care you sometimes don't know why a scene doesn't work but then you yeah. st- you have to actually go through the layers of the creativity and particularly in your field right. you have to go down and go oh it's just because the sound's all off like it's it's forgetting yeah. that the orientation of the editing is not working for what i'm doing yeah yeah i, I i'm so happy i mean the soundtrack of collateral in my career i feel is one of the the, the great moments i really pleased with what the opportunities we got how it came together um everybody on it was everybody had the same goal uh of really uh presenting to michael and giving the opportunities for a solid uh track and uh i think it came out that way you know i'm very pleased with uh, the final product because that's it's a challenge with him just because he loves his avid so much and uh if if you don't get access to it early on you don't get that collaboration the results uh are not as certain yes Can so I- you're able to work with the picture editor going back and forth talking about the cuts and the sounds that's like an amazing sort of i feel like that's a great uh not every supervising sound editor is going to have that much access to no and it's not even it's 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 multi levels it's access and it's also egos. Uh, yes. You know, I mean, if we're, if we're really going to dig deep into this. Um, Please dig you, deep. We love it. Let's you know, go. I mean, you have to be working with people that uh, are on board with collaboration. Yes. And, you know, as you know, my wife's a psychotherapist. And as sometimes she's told me, not everyone's gotten hugged enough in their youth. <laughs> <laughs> That and, must be uh, helpful to have to, at home when you're yes, like someone just to say. just give a little perspective. Just like, it, honey, it, I, need, it, I need to vent and actually have a great listener at home to like help you cope with, you know, 16, 17 hour days for three months, you know, or whatever well, it is on it, these projects. It, it is other than I learned early in my marriage that I had to be careful about sharing my dreams because they were way too <laughs> revealing. <laughs> Who said, you know what that means? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, 
not every you know right not every everyone's different and i've worked with uh picture crews over the years that weren't as open to uh input from the sound team uh mm -hmm. as others yes mm -hmm. and you know which is unfortunate because all of us have the same goal of trying to make the best movie possible and try and, and make it unforgettable best. Elliot. i think that right. that's you know if there's one common trait in all of the weird and wonderful movies that we talk about it's to whomever we're talking to they're unforgettable and because we stay in our wheelhouse as manheads and collateral obsessives and mojito fiends you know we right you, there are things you hear and you're like other movies just don't sound like this i can't yeah. I, I can't explain it other than they just don't sound like this they don't feel as rich and they they they're so rewarding before we well, get i to think Okay, well, sorry. I was just gonna say before we get to final sort of uh, stories to make sure that you cover off everything that you wanted to say about your <laughs> memories. I just wonder, yeah. in that late stage of production and everything's being mixed, how early in the process do you see a final cut of the movie? And then and and how 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 was that experience when you're seeing sort of a close to final cut? Are you like, wow, we have got something here? Yeah, I mean, with Michael, that's much more nebulous than most directors yes because he he stays in, on the mixed stage dramatically longer than most people do uh he, he's still fine-tuning and say typically a final mix of a movie and a traditional uh calendar might last for six weeks if that um his final mix may go on four months three four months or something it goes on and on and on so he's still, you know, I mean, famously on Vice, he removed the, the boat race after we thought we were done. We thought the movie <laughs> was done. And he said, you know what? I, I don't want to start the movie this way. And it went away. Um, except on the Universal's release where they decided to. Can we ask, did he, like, because we've been hearing from some of our, our friends and listeners that he regrets taking out the boat race. Did he you seem know, like he regretted taking out the uh, boat race? I never, I never did ask him about that. And as I, as, as I teased uh, with Blake the other day, I saw Michael about a week ago. Right. Uh, I was, and uh, I didn't at, let you tell that story until Katie was here. No, so and it's so... not a, it's not a great story. But I was at, I was on stage uh, briefly meeting a friend for lunch, and where they're, you know, doing the final mix on Ferrari, and did have a brief moment to chat with him. But uh, I don't know. Um, what was he? How was know, he, how was he? How was he when you saw him mixing Ferrari? Surprisingly healthy and fit looking for that late in the process. Oh yes, okay. I mean, you'd think you know he would be beat up pretty well, and particularly he's not a young man. No, but yeah, he he looked you know spry and happy and uh, was uh, yeah. I I was actually I hadn't seen him in a year or two. I think it's been a while, and uh, I thought he looked great. And very, you know, very energetic and uh, all that. Ex so he's he's been given new life, Elliot, because Heat Two well, is just around the corner. Oh, I know, and I, uh, my colleagues intimated that it's very close to being around the corner. Uh, oh you know, my after, god! Af after this movie's done, I you know I believe that you know there's casting discussions and all that going on um, as we speak. But I think can you what, imagine maybe the cars in Ferrari? some of your peers are working on all the sounds of like actually vintage 
Ferrari sounds whipping around tracks and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like your you and your team, you know, in another time would have had an absolute damn field day with that. Yeah, and in all fairness, I, I did have some very early discussions about participating in that in Ferrari, but it didn't happen for a number of reasons. And but what intrigued me, even you know, I guess you know, time heals all wounds. <laughs> and I've been out of the fray long enough that maybe even at my advanced age, I was, uh, you know, willing to get in maybe as a coda to my career. Um, but uh, and the, what intrigued You have to fight for that heat too, Gig, Elliot. You get it. You get yeah. it, Elliot. You've got uh, to get the, in there. The, uh, the thought of recording all those cars was what would make me... What, you know, okay, maybe I do want to do this. Oh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Going yeah, to the Ferrari would... factory, taking a right. little whip around, getting the right. mic out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the, you know, what was so great about uh, uh, my participation in Collateral uh, it was he was happy. He knew, and I think we all felt it's a good movie. Mm. Um, he, he, he seemed very positive. And it was still grueling. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, you know, 80 hour weeks and, you know, no days off for months and all it's, but when, you know, things are either good from the top down or bad from the top down. Yes. And, and he was very happy. Um, you know, it was a very positive experience for everybody. Um, it was a great crew. Everybody we worked with was totally, you know, on board and professional and the resources were there for us. And, um, you know, the end result was not only, it was, a, it was a great movie in itself, but my little world of sound, I couldn't have been more pleased with the uh, ultimate soundtrack of it. Did your well, peers I've... respect you? I'm oh, sorry, Katie. Did your peers, oh, how, are you, how are your peers with it? Because I would imagine you guys are doing heroic stuff. So like, how are your peer group? Were they all like, oh my God, that, Elliot, I, we can't believe you had to do that. Or, you know, I imagine like, you know, when you talk it, shop around the water cooler, I imagine they're like, man, this sounds amazing. I imagine that it was nuts to actually go and do there, it. There's all elements. kinds of, it's, you know, there's all kinds of reactions. Some people are in awe and are you know want to hear you know some people maybe a little bit of schadenfreude or they they you know they're happy to hear how miserable people were uh, <laughs> but you know uh not everybody is up to yeah. that challenge of those yeah. kind of hours and that kind of and and it's hard on your family my kids were little at the time and uh my wife had to do a lot of single parenting uh for that period uh when and we, i was on it a fairly long time uh, and not particularly close to where I live. It was a long drive from uh, Santa Monica up to Granada Hills. Um, so it's hard on you. It's, it's very challenging, but it's funny. And not everybody wants, whenever I sit with colleagues anywhere, it always comes to Michael's stories and uh. the work. I mean, and I've worked on, you know, over 100 movies. I've worked with wow. some amazing filmmakers over the years. And uh, never, it ultimately is always people want to hear what it's like and want to know, you know, the stories and how you survived and so on. Because and that's it is why unique. we have a podcast and that's why we have listenership. A podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, um, there, there, I, I cannot compare any other experience in my career to the times I've worked with him. Wow. They, they are unique. 
When you're watching movies, are you just totally zoned in on the soundtrack and the sound? Uh, I, you know, I heard one of your guests, I can't remember who it was, Stuart, uh, you know, if I'm really engaged, I'm, I'm in the story. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah I'm not paying as much attention. If I lose a little bit of that, I will start to wander a little and think about the soundscape or unless something is just so brilliant or so bad. Yeah. Yes. It, it 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 hits me, um, but yeah, I, I I'm well, I certainly am attuned to it. Okay. Uh, from all the years and and all that, and um, you know, re recognize uh, um, you know, when I hear something, um, you know, really special, um, right. you know, it, it really strikes me. Yeah. What's um, a special one for you recently? Do you, can you think of something uh, off the top of your head in the last couple? Oh uh, yeah, of years? yeah. I, 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 well, just recently, I loved the work on All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the crew. I believe it's a German crew. Uh, the the way they use the sound and the music, I loved it. I, I, it was so impressive to me. Yeah, that um, they because we've all any of us that are skilled in our craft, you think, okay, I could do a war movie. I could do a space movie. I can do, I mean, I just, uh, I, I heard the way they did it was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love the tracks on that. It was yeah. so, and I was uh, very happy for them that they won. Yeah. They won the Oscar. I, yeah. I yeah. 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 So that, that one, yeah. It, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's unusual when you don't hear, um, it, when you hear something new, it excites me. Uh, I did a movie 15 years ago, long ago, uh, Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Which was a fun movie to do. It's a director I've worked with a lot. And uh, it was a, a, a fertile ground for cool sound opportunities yeah. with mythological monsters and all that. And I hired an editor to do some design that I'd never worked with before. And uh, I knew she was talented, but uh, I hadn't heard a lot of her work. And so there's an opening scene in the movie where this sort of uh, Borg-like mechanical bull, it's somewhat alive, it's somewhat mechanical. This giant bull terrorizes this camp full of these young uh, demigods or whatever, and is, uh, uh, eventually Percy subdues it. And she took that scene. She was locked up in her room for a week or two. And then my colleague Bruce and I, she said, all right, I'm, I'm ready to play stuff for you. We went in and listened to her work. And it almost brought tears to my eyes because she had found ways I had never even thought of of presenting this creature that was so neat. And so it was like, wow. And I mean, okay, that opened my eyes up to another way of thinking of things. Whatever. So yeah, I mean, I'll hear soundtrack sometimes where people take a new spin at something or a new and it's like wow that's nice because we we're always learning yeah uh, there's always uh you know we we hear things we really like and say okay i'm gonna try to do that or you know um but uh yeah i'm i'm definitely a nerd and a geek and uh, <laughs> uh well, so are we <laughs> so are we. you know you're I, in safe I, company. i've always i've always felt very fortunate that being someone that tends towards the artistic side I was able to find a way to turn it into a living. Yes. Um, uh, uh, working in the in the industry. Just before Katie jumped on early in our conversation, we talked to Elliot. Was saying 
he worked on Alien 3 <gasps> and Predator and Predator 2. And I'm like, and I'm like, <laughs> so good. And I and just threw it away. It he just threw it away. And I said, I wrote it down. I'm like, no, no, no. We we will cycle back once we've done our collateral talks, once we've once I've come back. So can we jump Where back? Oh my god, I'm freaking out. Uh, yeah, I mean, also, I mean, I want to know what? what kind of things you had to record for Showgirls, Elliot. But we'll get back to that in just oh, a moment. And oh speed, speed, right, oh right. God. Alien right. Three, um, Predator Two. I, I, I go back. Um, so Elliot, they're playing Alien Three on 35 millimeter at Bleak Week at the American Cinematheque, and I'm going to oh. introduce it. Wow. It's on June second. Mm -hmm. at 10 p.m you should come yeah yeah do you want to do a q a <laughs> or an oh. intro? Well, and let me i mean i was not the supervisor on that i was an editor on that i mean some of these uh, movies we're talking about i was part of the crew right but not in charge but um you know alien 3 was interesting because as i started to say in my view it was fincher before he was fincher yeah yes you know he was really young and his uh, first quite, movie yeah, quite honestly, the picture editor, Terry Rawlings, was a veteran a British picture editor who he may have had won an Academy Award for something. I mean, he was a he was driving the bus. Oh, he, he really, on the edit? Well, and certainly in post. Oh, OK. In, in, in post, we rarely saw David. He spent most of his time, I think it was at Boss Film, do, doing uh, visual effects. Mm -hmm. And Terry, until the very, very end uh when uh, david started coming around to the stage more uh terry rawlings was really sort of guiding the mix and and uh which was yeah i mean i don't know if it's probably surprising to you guys um but yeah and in, in, in our interactions really it, it, at the very end of the movie we did a playback and the biggest note we had for david was he, he wanted to change the sound of all the aliens feet uh something <laughs> different whatever but his his impact to us on that movie was not as significant as the the daily interactions with the picture editor on that and you know that is sometimes the case uh a lot of times studios will hire younger directors because they're more controllable and maybe yeah. a little cheap a little cheaper and often pair them with a veteran picture yeah. editor Yes. Well, I—I uh, I mean, he, Fincher doesn't even—he doesn't even like accept Alien Three as the in the his canon. Yeah. Yeah, as yeah. the beautiful baby that it is. I happen to love Alien Three. I just wrote a little essay on it for Bleak Week. Right. But um, uh, yeah, and like I think there was a lot of issues with like the cut and the studio yeah. and like what they wanted to do. Any so interference? Yeah, his his vision yeah. clearly not. It was every yeah everybody apparently had a hand in that one, yeah. and the the whole concept of that movie changed so radically from yeah. where it first started to where it ended up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I don't know that it was very well received uh, when it came out. I mean, it was certainly fun to work on. Yeah. Uh, to get to get an opportunity to you know working with you know, doing alien stuff mm -hmm. and and all that and although if, if I'm trying to remember if this was the film I, it might have been the one where we did we you know I, I worked on the uh, autopsy in the beginning of the movie with uh, when Newt, oh yeah yes. she starts off she drowned and she's right. dead dead in the very beginning of the movie and there's an autopsy 
And um, I think I was admonished that we had to lose a lot of the grisly, gory sounds <laughs> that uh, that I put in because they were just a little too much. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, because that scene is really, you know, built on ed the edit and the sounds. Like, you're not seeing, you know, a little girl's body being right. autopsied because that would be way too intense. But, you know, you're hearing the cracks and the things. Yeah. I'm sure they were like, okay, take it down. But it's really you know, built out of, out of just images and, and putting things together. You know, I, I yeah. noticed that on my rewatch recently. No. And, you know, from my perspective, those kind of scenes are, you know, it's just this treasure chest where you can go to town. If I, if I think for that one, we went to Grand Central Mark in downtown LA and got um, a carcass. I think we got like a, of an animal and then like dissected it and did all recorded all the different sounds you make when you, <laughs> rip apart bones and tissue and all just uh oh my what god a that's cool amazing job. What, what a cool life you've had ellie right <laughs> what did you do today honey i went to grace's <laughs> market and i destroyed a body and recorded it yeah i am um, i made a, a horror film for my senior thesis and I, I tried all these different things to stab for a stabbing and i found the best one was a cantaloupe yeah <laughs> so I, did, I was doing my own amateur foley. <laughs> oh, uh, there's a whole skill set to gore. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love uh, it. Know, I love it. Yeah. I want to be it, your intern, man. Oh, I'm like, God. this sounds so fun. And being the supervisor, I've always found why I love being in charge on a show, too, is I get to choose what cool scene I will cut myself as yes. opposed to share with the crew and have somebody else do something. And I, I try, yeah, I love, and I, it's when I have the opportunity to do really fun stuff like that, you know, it's well, um, very, the other one we talked about in that universe is predator Two, deeply underrated, yeah. grisly kind of black exploitation action mm. version of that series. Did you work with Mark Goldblatt? Yes. Oh, Actually, well, I'm friends you know, with my, his son, so I'm like, Mark, I love Mark. Uh, Mark. Mark was the picture editor on Percy Jackson. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Dude. Oh, my gosh. So, so you guys have worked yeah. together for a long time, yeah. We have. Uh, but yeah, worked yeah, on that one. So, And that was, uh, um, it, it was uh, challenging because it was a tighter budget film. Yes. They didn't have an, did not have an expansive budget on that one. So there really wasn't a lot of chances to go record new things. Mostly we had to be super creative out of our sound libraries and yes. Foley, which is another big part of our, the whole thing is having a great Foley team uh, can really save your butt because yeah. they can cover so many things. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, I just, I just want to thank, you know, say like, I feel like every time I talk to you, I'm getting like a film school lesson and since we talked to you about miami vice and you know I, I feel like it has really just changed the way i think about all of michael mann's films and the digital uh photography and and just right. filmmaking in general like like blake says it's like you're not going to necessarily know when the sound is off or something but like the beautiful layers of filmmaking and the care that's put into it will just lend to this like richness of a cinematic experience so um, yeah, I, I, it totally, that's the goal I have always had is to use the soundscape um, as uh, emotional support for what the director's vision is, you know, scene to scene, you mm -hmm. know, what either the absence of sound or adding sounds, what can we do 
to help tell the story sometimes subconsciously sometimes mm -hmm. overtly um mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's uh it's it is a big part of the movie well, yeah before, absolutely be before we let you go i'm currently working on episodes of podcaster and commander with one russell crowe peter weir's amazing film from 2003 and you were this uh -huh. and you um were the and i just want to get this right you're the supervising sound editor and sound designer on one unhinged ah uh, yes that, the the movie that opened yes. up after the pandemic and and I well, want to know, you know. I want to know a couple, <laughs> and obviously, and also Moonage Daydream, which wow. Yeah. Oh wow! I can't Daydream. imagine that yeah. movie. The amount of layers, I cannot even fathom it. So we may not even touch on it, but I just saw Unhinged in your amazing resume, and I'm like, Unhinged. I have to know. I have to know about Unhinged. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because I started that uh, just started just before the pandemic. Yeah. And we were working on it. And then in um, March, we were about to do our first temp mix of the movie when it became clear that things were turning into, you know, it's a bad situation and things were getting uh, to the point where uh, potentially there might be a work stoppage. And we were a day or two from finishing this temp mix when the city of Los Angeles had the uh, stay at home order announced. Yes. And um, the filmmakers, were given the option by my company said you know we will stay and finish this temp mix if you want rather than leaving it almost done and we all agreed to come in and it was a weird time because we, nobody knew what covid really was and yes. how dangerous it was and you know everyone's a little nervous about being in rooms with other people but we finished that mix uh in mid-march and went home for about six weeks and the producers of that film contacted us in late April and said, you know, we're talking to people and we all think that this COVID thing will be done soon. And we're <laughs> going to do a, we're going to do a wide theatrical release for July 4th, 2020. And so we want, we'd like you guys to go back to work. And, um, it was, we, nobody knew what a workflow would be like in a COVID environment at the time. And, uh, and I, I even asked my wife, are you okay with me going back in the office? And so, you know, uh, I went in looking almost like an, I had a hazmat suit on <laughs> and went into the office, closed the door behind me, didn't allow the janitor in my room for, the, you know, just everybody was super nervous about it. But we got the movie finished. And of course, there was no in theater screenings no, no. Right. not until you know, like 21 that, right yeah it was like 20, no 20, no 20, uh, i believe i believe in your country maybe there might have been i vaguely heard somewhere internationally there were some actual theater screenings yeah i think we got um, a little bit of rusty for unhinged i mean um, um uh, yeah. but, but but we you know in oz depending on the state um the lockdown the extremities of the lockdowns were different uh, yeah. Depending on that, so, well, yeah. and it affected us because uh, the actors—he was Russell was home in his, in his uh, ranch, and uh, the lead actress was uh, who's also Australian, but she was in New Zealand, and she was stuck. Yeah. And it's, uh, the rules were even tighter there. In New Zealand, yeah, and, yeah. In New and, Zealand and, and Victoria, in our country, our southern state was yeah, it was one of our southern states was just crazy. We needed to get her to an ADR stage. And we didn't know how that was going to work oh because she couldn't, 
couldn't travel. Russell was able to work at home. He has a full studio at home, apparently. Wow. And and a guy, this tech guy. And, and so he and, did all. And for both of you, he has a uh, on his ranch. He's got what he calls the presidential suite, which he had custom built for Ridley Scott to come and write in. Um, I don't know if Ridley Scott has written in it, but uh, there's some photos online you can see of like the presidential suite that he had built for Ridley. So uh, yeah, he, wow. he's got a, he's got a studio, and up in he he's in northern New South Wales, which is about five hours from me drive. Um, and uh, they're actually building like he, his company, his production company, is building a studio in that town so that like a in a small town in australia to like um help that local community like have a have an economic boost because some beautiful spots around there and you know great opportunities for filmmaking and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff well totally belying what you hear about russell interacting with folks and all he was great he did all his adr he had no issues with any of that stuff he was available to publicize the movie he was really on board with it. The, you know, the only thing that came up in the movie was shot in New Orleans. And I don't know if he was asked to do it or not, but he did a lot of his uh, readings with kind of a New Orleans Southern accent. It's a twang, yeah. And the uh, filmmakers got concerned that um, it might not be what they wanted. <laughs> and uh, I guess there's some fear that internationally... When people hear Americans speak that way, they sound like yokels yeah. or something. And uh, I, so in I, 80- how that could be a concern in a movie where a guy like the film opens with him murdering his ex-wife and her current husband with like a hammer. I'd be like, the yeah. accent's not the problem, guys. Just for cl- uh, full clarity. Right. Um, and so he did when he did ADR, he did soften uh, some of those lines a, a, a little bit. But um it was a, it was a, that was a great film to work on too. If the, if you re, remember, it opens with just sound. Yeah, for the just first sound. Five, five, five minutes of the movie, he's sitting in the truck in the rain and thunder. And uh, um, uh, actually, I I had a lot of fun with the rain and thunder and all the, all those parts of it too. Be you know, does his deeds where he axes people and all. Um, but uh, yeah, that was. Uh, it was a very interesting experience doing that one, considering uh, the times we were in. With, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I bet that was really weird. Yeah. Trying well, look to figure at, things out. Look, Elliot, this has been an amazing time. We won't keep you for any longer. This is uh, amazing to talk to you. Um, just, just keep us in the loop if you spot Michael on a lot and you get right. hired for Heat Two. We will be. <sighs> You'll be chronicling and calling us from your suite um, uh, yeah, on one of your 18-hour days. We'll be available at any time of the day or night across Australia and LA to make that happen. But it's just such a treat to talk to you, and thank you for the education. I'm, yeah, oh, we, I'm, we appreciate I'm, I'm, it. I'm happy to do it, and I will say when I saw Michael last week and was talking to some of the crew members, everybody on that movie is very excited. You know, there. I mean, at, at that point in the film, usually people are pretty beat up. But they all were very positive and excited and uh, feeling that uh, Ferrari is going to be very special. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Oh, my God. Right. We're right there, Katie. We're like this close. We can taste the new Michael Mann cinema movie. Oh, I my know. God. Wow. Anyway, but a pleasure talking to you both. It's always fun. Always oh, fun. Great talking to you. I want yeah. to be an intern on Heat Two. Uh, yeah, I'm flying over. If you become, <laughs> yeah. I'm just. I will just sit. I will get you coffee every day. I'm li- right. I'm living. I'm moving into Katie's house. We'll take yeah. turns at who gets you the coffee. We're excited. <laughs> 
All right. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll see you, Katie, for uh, Alien 3. Yes. Come to Alien 3. Yes. That would yes. be so fun. I will make sure I yes. link this up in the emails properly afterwards so that you can email Elliot. But uh, imagine that just rolling out Elliot talking about talking about making horrific sounds for alien 3 that would be great that would be great i'm gonna ambush the audience with you oh, okay. <laughs> fantastic okay all right thanks elliot you're the best thank you so much <laughs>